GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Welcome to another episode of the Health Cert GP Insights podcast. Today we're talking about delayed inflammatory reactions. I am joined by the wonderful Elena Curry, registered nurse and co-founder of Aesthetic Met, Australia's first 24-7 complication and safety support service for all aesthetic practitioners. Thank you and welcome Elena. Thank you so much for having me again. That's a very lovely introduction. Uh, Let's get started with an overview of delayed inflammatory reactions. What causes them? What symptoms do the patients experience? And how long after the treatment do these symptoms appear? Yeah, look, so I think in terms of delayed inflammatory reactions, I mean, it's really a broad term that kind of encapsulates a a range of different immune responses. Um, Look, normally what we sort of see most commonly within aesthetic medicine is really reactions that kind of either involve either moderate to severe swelling to the treatment areas or the surrounds and um, inflammatory nodule formations. So I guess in terms of what causes these is really more just uh, obviously the immune mediated response. So things like severe swelling or moderate to severe swelling usually there's a couple of different processes that kind of are involved and the reaction can either be what they kind of term a histaminergic or a non-histaminergic reaction. Um, And look, they can be sort of seen, I guess, from any aesthetic medical procedure. So quite commonly, obviously, after energy-based device treatments, so lasers or or radiofrequency-based treatments, they can often promote, you know, quite significant swelling. And for those that are obviously have a little bit more of a heightened immune response, they can obviously get quite significant swelling post-treatment. Um, In terms of inflammatory nodule formation, so this is most commonly, I guess, associated with injectable soft tissue fillers or collagen stimulator, uh, stimulating products. So I guess really with nodule formation, really what's happening is there's, there's either, it can be either an infective process, so whereby you're looking at biofilm formation in and around where the injectable filler has been placed, or it can be kind of a foreign body granulomas like reaction to the filler. So whether your body actually sees it as being a foreign agent and fights against it. We often refer to delayed inflammatory nodules. There's a lot of people that will refer to them as granulomas. Um, and I think it's kind of important to sort of, I guess, highlight that though that term, so granuloma or biofilm is really, a, it's a pathological diagnosis. So that is only actually kind of confirmed on a, on a biopsy, which in a lot of patients that have inflammatory nodules, they don't often have a biopsy of that nodule. So realistically, we should just be referring to them as inflammatory nodules as a whole. I think delayed inflammatory nodules are those that kind of occur, you know, anywhere. So once the, the normal side effects of the filler treatment have subsided, so your normal inflammation, so your redness, swelling and tenderness, that sort of thing, once that's sort of subsided, really delayed nodule formation is anything that happens after that point. So it can be anywhere from a matter of weeks to years actually after the treatment has been performed. Um, And normally with delayed nodules, they will kind of present as like a fixed firm nodule in the areas that have been injected with the filler. So nodule, like so in terms of inflammatory nodule formations that 
happen earlier. So within like that first two to three week period, they're often fluctuant. So they're kind of soft and, and movable in nature. Um, and they are often kind of related to an infective source. So that's often where sometimes it can lead to a bit of an abscess formation. So um, yeah, I guess it's different, different kind of presentations. They can be pretty difficult, I think, for practitioners to diagnose. Um, so I think it's kind of important from, you know, a medical practitioner standpoint that is looking at obviously managing the, the adverse event. If they're not sure, it's really important to to escalate or ask for help from a specialist that is kind of familiar with dealing with these sorts of reactions. Absolutely. How often do you see these delayed inflammatory reactions in practice? Yeah, look, it's a good question. I think, you know, they are rare in nature. I think there's been various different literature reports um, that have looked at prevalence rates, but at the moment, the current research is kind of indicating a prevalence rate of about 1% for delayed inflammatory nodule formations. In terms of the swelling reactions, there's not really much, well, I haven't actually been able to find any real prevalence rates of these reactions, but there's certainly studies that look into various, all the different types of adverse reactions with, with filler treatments. Um, and they certainly do discuss swelling in those papers. Um, but in terms of prevalence rates, I haven't got anything for you for, from the swelling. Thanks. I guess the next most important question is, are there any influencing factors that you can adjust to decrease the chance of this occurring? Oh, look, absolutely. I think with regards to inflammatory reactions, I do think it's really important to look at the prevention side of it. I mean, whilst we can't, you know, we can never say that you will never get an inflammatory reaction, that's, that's natural. So it should always be consulted as a potential risk prior to treatment. But I think it's really important to take a really thorough medical skin and treatment history from every single patient. So patients that have kind of any kind of autoimmune condition, they will always be at an increased risk of inflammatory reactions just simply because their immune system is heightened from baseline, right? So, you know, it, it's just important for us to be consulting them and letting them know that they naturally have an increased reaction that whilst it's still rare, they are at a little bit of a higher risk than patients without autoimmune conditions. Patients similarly that have had any kind of either current, obviously we don't want to be treating anyone with a current illness, absolutely, because their immune system is obviously heightened and they're fighting another infection. Um, but even very recent, so even if it's only they've just come off antibiotics in the last week, you know, for a chest infection, or if they've had, you know, they've got a current UTI, or they've had any inv invasive kind of dental treatment, all of those kinds of conditions have, you know, been linked to stimulating immune-mediated reactions. So it's really important to just make sure that whenever we're treating patients that we're always making sure that their immune system is as calm as possible prior to treatment. Um, and I think also in terms of patients with a history of any kind of anaphylactic reactions, I think it's also really important just for us to kind of, you know, make a note that they are at a higher risk of allergic reactions as a whole, right? And so if they've never had any, you know, filler treatments before, I think it's really important to just, you know, make sure that, you know, I mean, everybody should have adrenaline and EpiPen on site, but it just, you know, makes sure that we obviously double check those processes and protocols in the background as well. Excellent, thank you. Up next is when you see a patient with a delayed inflammatory reaction, what are the options to treat them? Look, in terms of treatment, treatment for swelling does depend on the medical diagnosis. So, you know, whether if it's histaminergic or non-histaminergic, it will kind of change the um, treatment 
management strategies, I think, for it. So it'll either involve the use of antihistamines, um, plus or minus maybe some low-dose steroids. Some cases will also require actually dissolving, particularly if it's a HA filler, obviously, um, dissolving of the filler. Right. So it just really depends on that on that medical assessment initially. In terms of nodules, they are absolutely inherently difficult to treat. Um, they're probably one of the worst adverse events really to, to get, I think, in our industry. Um, look, the way that the nodules form, it basically, you know, it forms a capsule around the filler. So the, the body is actually recognising it as being um, a pathogen. So essentially it creates a capsule to protect that spread of that pathogen to anywhere else in, in the body. So it's a, a nice, you know, tactic to, to, I guess, hinder that spread. But they also have a notoriously slow growth rate. So both of those factors combined actually mean that these nodules are kind of a little bit um, quite resistant to antibiotic treatment alone. Sometimes that can actually be effective enough to actually treat them. Um, but in other cases, it might involve a little bit more kind of invasive options. So other treatment options that have been kind of reported in the literature um, will be either, yeah, antibiotic coverage, intralesional hyaluronidase, um, if it's HA filler, uh, intralesional steroids as well. Um, and in some severe cases, they've actually even used 5-FU or even had to have involved excision, obviously, as the very last resort if it's not responding. Um, but again, like it's, it's so important that anyone that's managing a delayed inflammatory nodule, you know, these are really rare events and there are like a select few people out there who are actually kind of a little bit more experienced or more experienced, obviously, to deal with these. So it's really important to escalate it to a specialist um, because trying to manage it on your own, you know, you may do more of a disservice to the patient. Speaking of the patient. If I was in their shoes getting this reaction, I don't think I'd be too pleased. So <laughs> yes. what reactions in mood and attitude do you see in patients when they come back with an adverse reaction? And do you have any tips on how to approach it to try and calm and reassure the patient? Yes. And look, I think, you know, I've never met anybody that's had an adverse reaction and come in with a smile. I mean, I think it's very normal for them to be feeling frustrated and upset and angry, all of those emotions. I think... You know, from my experience, primarily, you know, what we need to make sure that we're doing is, is that we are informing them prior to treatment. It really is a rule of thumb that anything that's kind of discussed before treatment is considered education to the patient. But if it's not discussed before treatment and it's only discussed afterwards, it's actually seen as an excuse right so it's really important that whilst you know because they'll still come in upset or angry but at least if you've discussed it prior to they will know that you know well you did mention that this could be the case in a rare case so they kind of accept that they're one of the rarer you know incidents of of these reactions so they'll be far less aggravated um, because they it was a consented risk i think in terms of the management the most important thing that you can do is have processes and protocols in place. Patients just need to feel like they are being looked after and they need to feel like you are really working hard to help them on this journey. Um, and I think if you don't know or you're not sure about those processes and protocols, then absolutely, as I said, escalating it for specialist intervention. Um, and I really think that, you know, you also joining them. And when I say specialist intervention, it doesn't mean just you referring on and being out of the picture 
um, I think it's really important that you still maintain a really active role um, and also you use that as an opportunity to learn from these specialists that are in the field as well as to how to deal with these. Last but not least, I'm just curious, uh, how does this relate to the COVID vaccine and what sort of practices have you put in place um, with that rolling out across the country? Yeah, sure. I think, look, the COVID vaccine, you know, it's it's unique in the sense that we've obviously never had a, a global pandemic and we've never had such a high volume uptake of, of a particular vaccine. So I think, you know, it's unique in that sense. The, it essentially is like any other vaccine in the way that it stimulates the immune system, right? So ultimately, COVID or the flu vaccine or any other kind of vaccine, you really should probably be postponing the any treatment with filler um, between about two or three weeks pre or post the treatment, again, just to ensure that their immune system is not heightened and it's kind of returned to that baseline. The ASCD and ASAPs did actually put a joint submission in and they kind of recommended the two-week period as being an optimal time frame to leave pre and post. Excellent. Thank you. Um, it was great to have you share your knowledge and provide some advice on delayed inflammatory reactions today. Is it a common issue that aesthetic methods approach to help with? Look, we've definitely had calls related to, yeah, infl inflammatory reactions post-filler, um, you know, and particularly delayed ones. So we've certainly had a case where there's been quite significant delayed swelling, both unilateral and bilateral from two different cases. Um, some that we've obviously had to absolutely facilitate um, specialist intervention, and that's kind of what we're here for. I think, you know, because these reactions are so rare and they are actually quite difficult to treat. I think it's really important for all practitioners to be able to have those connections with being able to refer their patients on and to be able to get that support and to not feel isolated in a clinical setting. Um, so yes, absolutely we have helped, you know, even in the last we've only been, you know, operating in the last five months and we've definitely had multiple, multiple inflammatory reactions that we've referred on. Excellent. So for doctors who wish to learn more about this and more about Aesthetic Met, um, where can they find more information? Yes, absolutely. So just heading to the website, which is www.aestheticmet.com. So um, and look, we've got all the information, obviously, on there about the membership. It's, we've tried to make it as affordable as possible, so it's less than a dollar a day. And yeah, they obviously get access to an online educational platform that's kind of dedicated to safety and adverse events. Um, and yeah, um, you know, hopefully they find it useful. And, you know, like I said, we've also got that phone support as, as the option as well. Um, if people need to kind of escalate any adverse event. Fantastic. Thank you again for your time today, Elena. We look forward to catching up again next month. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me again. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more and please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.